Episcopalian, um, and my family obliged. My, my parents were received into the Episcopal Church uh, a year before I was confirmed. Um, and now my more extended family is starting to attend the Episcopal Church, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I was the head of the household in terms of faith, starting when I was just in fifth grade. Um, makes for a good story. The second thing that you might want to know about me is that I first felt a call to the priesthood when I was just a teenager. Shortly after joining the Episcopal Church, I was part of the Journey to Adulthood program, which involves a pilgrimage as the culmination of the program. So me and my youth group went on a pilgrimage, like any good Anglican, to Canterbury and London. Uh, we started our journey in Canterbury and we went to St. Martin in the Field in Trafalgar Square for our Sunday morning worship. Um, we have the cornerstone at the church that I grew up in came from St. Martin in the Field in Trafalgar Square. And it was in that very place that I first experienced a call to ministry. I couldn't have told you in that moment that that's what it was. Um, um, but in speaking with people around me, I gained clarity about what in the world was happening when my 13-year-old self was just completely overwhelmed by the spirit. Um, St. Martin's has a tradition of releasing a dove at the peace, and I was completely overcome and just bawling there with all of my uh, fellow youth group members who luckily were very gracious towards me, but they weren't having the same sort of response that I was. Um, and I, I continued to feel God's call in my life. So by the time I went to college, I, I was fairly certain that I would become a minister in some way. The next thing that sort of stems from that um, is that I, I like to collect places that I call home. I grew up in Atlanta. I was born and raised there. I lived there until I went to college. And then I went to Suwannee in Tennessee for undergrad. And I went to Austin um, Seminary of the Southwest for seminary and then started my ordained ministry in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I would consider all of those equally home. I add DC to that list now. My parents live in Sarasota, Florida. And while I've never lived there, that's home in its own sense as well. So I do have a broad understanding of home, which makes the life of being a clergy person um, a little more comfortable. Uh, it involves a fair amount of moving, or it can, um, and I'm grateful to add DC to the list of homes that I have. Um, I really truly believe that people are home, that home is a mindset, something that you carry with you, and it's also those places that have deep meaning to you. I'll say that part of the, the call that I experienced when I was at St. Martin's, um, as that dove was released, I kept thinking to myself, I'm home, I'm home. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to make sense of that. Um, that was not home in, in a true sense, home in the way that we think of it. But there was something about being in worship, something about having that proximity to God, about serving amongst my peers that felt like home. Um, so that also helps offer me a really broad and expansive understanding of what it is to be home. Churches are certainly homes as well. Um, I imagine that many of you would share that understanding. 
The fourth thing, um, this is something that you might have already noticed in my preaching, and if not, you probably will. Um, I'm a person who uh, really affirms deeply expansive language for God, um, and you may hear me at times refer to the difference between expansive language for God and inclusive language for God. So when we talk about inclusive language, that's often using gender-neutral language for God almost exclusively. That way everyone is included, um, and there's great value in that. Um, but I lean a little more towards expansive language, which means defining God in a myriad of terms. So I like to use she and mother for God um, at times in my preaching, in part to see how much people are listening because I often get comments about those. It's still not normative for us. Um, we can know that God is not a man sitting on a throne in heaven and still uh, it sounds different when we hear God referred to as she or as our mother. Um, there's many words that we can use that help us to understand the many facets of who God is. So I try to lean into that and offer expansive ways of understanding God. For some of us, myself included, language of father makes sense. That works for me. Um, that's what I knew for most of my life. And for some of us, that language is really uncomfortable um, and can even be sort of triggering depending on the relationship that we have with our own family or with men in our lives. Um, doesn't have to necessarily be your father. Um, so for many people, having other words for God helps them uh, to step into this faith more fully um, and in a way that does offer that safe, protective loving feeling that um, I think we all yearn to experience with God. So that's a, a deep value of mine. Um, I hope you'll listen out for that. Another one of those pieces of expansive language that I really like, which leads me into the fifth thing that you might want to know about me, which is some of the theologies that I really uh, ground myself in. But one of the terms that I like to use is kingdom, K-I-N-D-O-M, as opposed to kingdom. Um, there are plenty of reasons for that. Uh, one is I prefer emphasize the fact that we are family um, as opposed to people who are just bound together because of a king. Um, I believe that Christ is king and Lord of all but not in the way that we think about a kingdom in this world. So sometimes having language that is different from the things that we refer to in, um, in our world helps us to recognize that Jesus is an entirely different sort of king and Lord. So kingdom is one of those that I like to use, and that comes from Mujerista theology. That's the theology of Latina women. Um, Ada Maria Isasi Diaz is a theologian who I deeply love, a Catholic woman, uh, Latina, and she is the one who first uh, started popularizing the use of kingdom, and she has a lot to say about it. Um, so if that's something that is interesting to you, I highly encourage you uh, to take a look at her work. That's Ada Maria Isasi Diaz. So Muharista theology is one of the theologies that I really ground myself in. 
I also really appreciate the work of womanist theologians. Um, that's the theologies of black women. Um, so both of those, you'll notice, there's a racial component and a religious component um, to recognize that we are intersectional people. Um, we have multiple identities at once. So I really deeply appreciate those theologies that allow us to uh, lean into the, the varied identities that we have. Um, I find both of those both Murista and womanist theologies really enlightening, uh, really comforting. There's a lot of female imagery for God in both of those, um, a recognition of the way that church has hurt many people. Um, so I, I'm indebted to many theologians in, in both of those areas. Uh, I also love queer theology. Um, both in the, the sense of queerness as a sexuality and understanding the way that God is with and in all gender and sexual orientations, but also queer theology in the sense of recognizing that there's something deeply queer and strange about God. Um, God is beyond the sort of... Um, classification that we have here in this world. God is not a man or a woman. God does not have age. God does not have race. And yet God is all of them at the same time. Um, so I, I lean into queer theology as well. The sixth thing is that I really love Mary. Um, I, I connect with her in many ways. I connect with many of the women in scripture um, really deeply. I love their stories. There are incredible stories of women in the Bible if we take the time to read them. Um, there's something for me that allowed me to see my call when I read about the many women that God has already called. Um, God calls anyone to ministry, God, in, in many ways, not just ordained ministry. Um, the bishop who ordained me, Bishop Rob Wright in Atlanta, likes to say that God is an equal opportunity employer, um, which he says as a joke, but it's also deeply true that, that God will call any of us, um, and our identity is part of that call, not something that our, our call is in spite of. So I think God calls me as a queer woman, not God calls me and I also am a queer woman. Um, that's an important distinction for me and one that I um, am, am able to sink into as I read about the many uh, stories of women in the Bible. If you come visit me in your office, you'll see that I have um, lots of little trinkets and um, pictures of various women saints through the years, um, and I have a whole array of different images of Mary. Um, so come take a look at that if it's interesting to you. Question? Can I hand you the microphone so we can all hear you? My question is, you were talking about race. Well, I was sitting here thinking of the indigenous peoples. Do you mm -hmm. also deal with that? Certainly. Um, I, I would say in my experience, there is 
indigenous Christian theology is less widely available. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that. Um, part of that is that Christianity is a colonialist religion. Um, so many native people uh, have said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I, Christianity is, is a religion that has deeply harmed my people. Uh, there are many uh, indigenous Christian theologians still, but their work is not uh, widely published. Um, the Episcopal Church has missions in um, different native territories, uh, the history of which we can certainly problematize. There, there's a lot of harm that we need to name that we have done as the church, um, including uh, boarding schools. There, there are many um, children who were sent to um, native boarding schools, which were really um, just removing all of their heritage from them, and many of those students died while at school and were never reported as dead to their families. Um, and we, as the Episcopal Church, are part of that. Um, so we have missions um, to Native people, and with Native people, there are many indigenous priests in the Episcopal Church, and there's a lot for us to name um, as, as part of the harm that we've done. But thank you for naming that. I mean, there's. I could stand here all day and list theologians that have offered me new ways of thinking about God, um, but I find that many of the, the theologies that I find most helpful are coming from voices <clears throat> who are oppressed in some way. There, there's something about an understanding of God that comes from from a recognition that we truly need God. I think those of us who have positions of power and privilege in this world don't always feel like we need God because we've got it figured out already. Um, but I, there's something about being in a position that, um, that calls to God in a different way that I find really helpful and, and folks who are seeking liberation in the way that they talk about God. It's life-giving. Any other questions while I'm up with the mic? How are you today? Uh, you'd mentioned you were, came as a, at some point, a university chaplain, mm -hmm. I gather. Um, my, I have a son who's in university now, and he, he's a, you know, a strong Episcopalian. And yeah. I'm just kind of curious, one, what did you study in university to, to lead you on this path? Mm -hmm. And secondly, w working with young adults, I would call them, um, who may not otherwise see faith or maybe not trust in society as much as we'd like them to. Um, how, what did you learn from them and how could you bring that to, into our practice here? That's a great question. Um, so the first piece of that, I majored in religious studies in college. Um, I sometimes say that I pigeon my, pigeonholed myself on purpose. Um, that's what I loved to learn about. Uh, so I couldn't imagine learning about something else. I had minors um, in psychology and education, um, which might have helped me if uh, my, my bishop had said, mm, no, you're not called to the ministry. Um, but luckily here I am. So I, I majored in religious studies and absolutely loved that. Um, and campus ministry was a significant part of my life at Swanee, um, an Episcopal university, so a lot of Episcopal ministries there. Um, but my, my degree actually was not centered in Christianity, uh, which I think was 
actually really helpful for me as I went to seminary that I had um, a broad understanding of what religion is and can be. The second part of your question about what I learned from working with college students is a great one um, and, and one that I could answer at length. I learned so much from college students. Um, so my previous call was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is where University of Arkansas is. Um, and I was the Episcopal chaplain at St. Martin's Episcopal Center at the University of Arkansas. And I worked both with students who were already deeply Episcopalian, but perhaps more who were not. Um, and they saw a church on campus that had a rainbow flag on it and a Black Lives Matter flag on it and a sign that said refugees welcome, a sign for a transition closet which had clothing um, for people who were wanting to explore their gender and the way that they expressed it without spending tremendous amounts of money. So those were things that, that people saw that and thought, I didn't know church and any of those other messages could go together. That wasn't their experience of the church. So one thing that I learned from that is that we have to be really loud about the things that are life-giving about our faith. Um, we can name the ways that the church has done harm. And we are doing things that people have no idea are possible in the church. I was standing outside this morning um, welcoming folks for the 8 a.m. and someone walked by having picked up breakfast for their family. Um, and she, she looked at me and she said, is this a Catholic church? No, we're, we're Episcopalian. And she said, so women can be priests there. And I said, yes as I'm dressed in a chasuble and, and ready for worship. Um, but those sort of, sorts of things that feel commonplace for many of us, um, well, I'll also say that I'm of an age that women have always been priests in the Episcopal Church in my life. I know that's not true for everyone in this community, so some of you have seen that change um, happen. But there's also lots of people in the Christian community who have still never seen a woman preach, who have never seen a woman preside over worship, maybe have never seen a woman investments. Uh, so there's those sorts of things that can be normative to our experience of the church and of our faith that are not normative in our culture. So I was reminded about the need to name those things explicitly. I learned that from many students who came to me saying exactly what I just narrated. I saw XYZ sign and didn't know that was possible. I learned about the need for fellowship. I always knew fellowship was important, uh, but there's something about being with college students who they're just always receiving information. Um, the, that's the whole point of college, both what they receive in the classroom and what they are receiving and integrating from their experiences living in a dorm or developing adult friendships uh, or discovering what it is to live on their own, um, trying to figure out how to cook in their new apartment. It's constant learning. Um, so I learned that while there was a need for us to do Bible study and, and continue to learn about God, it was really important that we just sat down together um, and spent time with one another. So when we had dinner 
on Sunday nights, sometimes Jesus would come up. Jesus was there, I'm sure of that. But Jesus wasn't always the topic of conversation. But that fellowship was deeply important to um, the ability to be comfortable in a community and to ask those bigger questions and to ask about God and to feel comfortable saying, I don't believe that, or I don't believe that yet, or that doesn't make sense to me. Um, fellowship is what allows us to have those vulnerable conversations. And especially coming from seminary to that job, I had just been in a community where people are always talking about theology. Um, seminarians go out anywhere and end up talking about God and what sort of theories we do and don't believe. and were kind of a bore um, to other people, but I, w I was in a community where that's all we were talking about. So to then be reminded, oh, most people are not having these really nerdy conversations about theology, and most people, what they need more than anything is a place to feel safe and to feel loved. Um, and that, that's what we are as a church, is a, is a place for people to feel safe and to feel loved. And sometimes that means we talk about God explicitly, and, and a lot of times it just means we live it. So I, I'd say that's also a, a huge thing that I learned from working with college students. Yeah, thanks for that question. I'll go down my list, I'll keep going, and then we can do some more questions too. Um, the seventh thing on my list is that I love iconography. I love both uh, traditional and modern iconography. Um, I had the opportunity during seminary to write two icons. Um, and if you ever have the opportunity to go to an icon writing retreat, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, the process of it, there's lots and lots of steps. It happens over the course of many days. Uh, and it, there's a spirituality to each step of the process. So there's different prayers that go with each thing. Um, prayers that you say at the beginning of each session that you sit down to write your icon. And that was really meaningful to me. Um, it was really helpful for me in seminary to do something that wasn't intellectual learning, but was learning. I was learning about God. I was learning about myself. I was learning about the people that I was doing that with. One of the rules of iconography um, is that you are not to be jealous of your neighbor's work because their success is yours too. We share in our success, and especially in a community of faith. Um, we all do the comparison thing. Uh, that's just part of being a person um, and being a person in community. But when we come here, we can well, we can take it out in the world too. But when we are together, we can recognize that the success of my neighbor is the success of all of us. Um, and it, I want to rejoice with them. And if I have my own feelings about that, that's something for me to work out um, with God, with my therapist, um, with a friend. But our celebrations are for all of us. Uh, we are to rejoice with one another. So that's what I love about iconography and the communities that hold it dear. I love modern iconography too, which doesn't have all of the same steps and rules, um, but does offer us a way to look at God. The eighth thing, which I think many of you already know, is that I love shoes, um, which is both about the shoes and not about the shoes. I do love shoes. I have always loved shoes. Um, I come from two parents 
who also have shoe collections. Um, my mom and I both wear pretty loud shoes. She loves orange and has great orange loafers and things like that. So I love shoes, but it, it's about more than that. I am probably not what you think of when you think of the idea of clergy. I'm willing to bet I'm not the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of reasons. One, I'm a woman. We already talked about how that's surprising for many people, including in our tradition. I'm young, which is surprising for many people. I'm queer, which is also surprising. And I probably have on really loud, gaudy shoes. So none of that feels like a, a priest or a clergy person to us, and that's exactly why I do it. For me, living as my full self, my God-created self, invites other people to do the same. So when we're in community together and I say, I'm going to show up in the shoes that I love, I'm going to wear big earrings because I love big earrings and I wear a lot of black, um, then I'm saying to you, I want you to bring your whole self to this community. That matters to me, that you feel like you can come here, whether it's in your pajamas, because that's what you could manage today if, in order to get here, or in a ball gown, because that's how you want to give glory to God. I want you to show up as your whole self. So when I do that, when each of us do that, it serves as an invitation to the people around us. And I know that that's true, because I've seen other people do it, and then I felt invited. When I see other people doing the things that bring them the most joy and that help them to live as their fullest self, this is inside and outside of the church, I'm reminded that I get to do that too. And that's worthy of rejoicing. And I think all of that gives glory to God. Um, when we allow ourselves to um, live into the fullness of who we are, the parts of ourselves that we like and the parts of ourselves that we don't like, we're saying to God, I really like what you created. Even if sometimes I feel frustrated with myself or there's parts of my personality that I don't like or there's a part of your body that you don't like, when, I, when you rejoice in who you are and live it fully, you're saying, thanks God, you did a good job. Because God has already told us that this creation is good and that we are good. So when we live into that, which can mean wearing sparkly shoes, we're giving thanks. Um, I joke sometimes that when I wear crazy shoes, it's all to the glory of God, but it truly is. It truly is. Um, so now you have a little more of an understanding of, of my footwear. Um, sometimes I wear plain black shoes. It happens on occasion. The ninth thing that you should know about me is that I'm a planner person. I'm a big time planner person. I always have been. Um, I love... The act of planning, I love planners, just like the books. Um, I, anytime I go in a paper store or bookstore and they have planners, I have to look at all of them, even if I am not in the market for a planner. Um, I just, I love them. They bring me joy, they make me calm. Um, I, don't, I don't know what that says about me, but I love them. Um, right now, I, um, I started in the fall doing bullet journaling and just that allowed me the opportunity to create and draw and use stickers and washi tape as I plan. I also love to color code, which helps me a lot with this job. Um, both planning and color coding are a lot more a part of worship planning. Um, 
than you might have thought. The planning part's obvious, but there's a lot of color coding, there's a lot of Excel sheets, um, there's a lot of that that just like makes my heart happy. Um, when I came for my interview and Ledley showed me the rota, which tells us who's doing what at every service, uh, my eyes lit up as he opened this gigantic spreadsheet. But it was color-coded, and it was really clear where everyone was supposed to be and what we're doing, and that sort of stuff brings me deep joy, um, and always has. It's really helpful. The tenth thing, there's probably more things we'll discover about one another, um, is that I really love engaging creativity. So two of the ways that I do that most are in cooking and in crafting. Um, I don't really call myself an artist in that I don't have a particular art form that I lean into, but I love to craft and just get out all of the stuff and make a mess of my living room. Um, I love glitter also, um, which means that the carpet in my living room has glitter in it forever and always. You can't get it out. Um, but I love crafting. I love just having fun with that. And that's also a way that I connect with God. Um, it's a, a way of prayer for me at times. Um, I love visual forms of prayer, something that keeps my hands busy so that my mind can be still. So I have collage books that I'll cut things out and just notice what's drawing my attention on any given day and start piecing things together and drawing and getting out paint and sometimes glitter glue and, and seeing how God reveals herself to me um, in any given art project. Uh, so that's a way that I like to be creative. Um, and I also love to cook. I'm a total foodie. Um, so I will always take your restaurant recommendations, especially as I learn this area. Um, love food, love cooking, and the creativity it allows me to have. That's what I have. What are you curious about? What do you want to make sure that I know about you? Hi, uh, Katie McQuaid. Thank you so much for offering your top 10 list. Yes. Um, my question is related uh, to your uh, experience in college and mm -hmm. being a religious studies major. Yeah. And I'm curious if you, you mentioned you believe Christ is king, and I'm curious how the studies of all these other religious traditions mm -hmm. might have strengthened that belief or made you question that belief or informed yeah. that belief. Uh, we could talk more about that. Yeah, Thank certainly. Thank you for that. Um, the question is about um, my time doing religious studies during college um, and how studying other religions um, and having an expansive view of religion informs my faith and either strengthened it or weakened it. Um, you didn't say it, I don't think, in quite that dichotomy. Uh, religious studies is a strange field, I'll say that first. It's not the study of religions, like world religions. That's part of it. I did some of that. Um, I, I took a few classes that helped me to understand other religions in the world. But a lot of it is sort of anthropology of religion and understanding how religion works in the world and why religion calls to us and why so many of us find that we uh, become a part of religious communities, both those recognized and unrecognized. We spent plenty of time talking about how like Starbucks meets the quali qualifications of a religion in, in the study of religion. Um, some people might claim that as their religion. Some of us might roll our eyes and say, there's no way. Um, 
So it's a lot of the, the anthropology of it and understanding how we as people work um, and why religion is important. So in that sense, it deeply strengthened my faith. It reminded me that having something to ground my life in is really helpful. Um, it, it allows me to make sense of the world. It allows me to um, understand my neighbor better and understand how we are connected. So for me, that is in the form of Christianity. Um, I believe that Jesus is God's son and came to walk among us um, and was crucified and then was resurrected and ascended um, to heaven, whatever that looks like. Um, so for me, I, I believe all of those things to be deeply true. And I recognize that that doesn't have to be everyone's truth. Um, Understanding that religion is important for the way that we operate in the world helps me to recognize that other people have found a different truth um, that is, is valid for them um, and allows them to live life, a life of meaning. So, like, I know this is right for me. I, I don't know what's, quote, right in the, the span of the universe. Maybe one day we'll find out. Um, we'll all be gathered together. Um, lots of faiths understand that we'll be gathered together in some way, someday. Um, so we share that. And one day we might get together at that great banquet feast or whatever it looks like in different faiths, and we might say, oh yeah, I had that wrong, but it worked for while I was on earth. It helped me to understand the world. It helped me to connect to something bigger than myself um, and to be motivated to do good in the world. So this is the way that that works for me. Um, this is the truth that, that allows me to live my fullest life. And I recognize that there's great value in the, the other ways that people are exposed to a life of faith. We have a couple more minutes. So, um, Adeline, thank you so much. I'm someone who struggles every Sunday with bringing my husband who has advancing dementia to church mm -hmm. and his wardrobe choices. And <laughs> yes. you, I mean, you frame that in a way that it doesn't matter if he wants to come in pajama bottoms and a winter coat. Um, I don't know if he's doing that to make a, st it's what he feels comfortable in on that morning. And so rather than have an argument with him and him feel nagged and bullied and controlled and me feeling like uh, rhymes with rich, I can just get, have, bring Bill to church. Yeah. And he will wear what he will wear and people will look at that and understand his situation and I hope mine. And so just thank you because right yeah. from the altar. Bill can come and be Bill, so thank you. Absolutely, and we'll be delighted that he's here. Pajama bottoms and all. So, um, priests have so many roles and functions, especially in a parish this size. I'm curious as to what you really enjoy doing as a priest. Yeah, there's a lot of answers to that question. There's the, like, spreadsheets part of my work that I do enjoy, but it, it taps into a a particular part of who I am. I would say the thing that brings me the deepest joy about my ministry is getting to walk with people in their lives of faith. 
Um, we can all do that for one another, but there's something about putting on a collar that people say, I can spill my guts to that person. And I say, thank you. Um, where's God in that? So I love just, I love being a person that um, has the privilege of hearing where people are in their lives, how God is working or where God feels silent. Um, so having coffee with folks is like one of the greatest joys of my ministry because I get to learn about you. I get to learn about God through you and through your life. Um, we get to learn about one another and connect about things that are just intrinsic to our humanity. We get to connect simply because we are beloved children of God, and that's a gift. I, I love being in a position to have those conversations with people. This isn't the question you asked, but I'll say it anyway. Um, once I was ordained and when I began presiding um, during Eucharist, I felt more myself than I ever realized possible because I was doing the thing that God intended for me to do. So I deeply love presiding at the Eucharist. Um, I step into that and I, I lose track of who I am and, to, and where I end and God starts because it's all the same. So that's of course a deep joy and one that helps me to feel I mean, it's a, a deep privilege. I don't quite know how to put words to it, um, but I feel deeply myself. I feel deeply connected with God. Um, and that's, that's my wish for all of us. My prayer for all of us is that each of us can be embodied um, by the Spirit in the thing that gives our life meaning, which might be your job. But it might not be. It might be coming home and cooking an amazing meal for yourself or for your family. It might be a craft. It might be getting out in your garden. But my prayer is that all of us have that space where we feel so ourselves and so deeply connected with God that we're not sure where we end and where God starts. Um, so for me, often that's, that's right here at this table. Um, that may be true for some of you as you come forward as well, or as you serve as a reader or a Eucharistic minister. There, there's many ways that we serve in the church. I imagine there's choristers who would say that that's true about singing. Um, so that, that's both an answer to what do I love and also a, a deep prayer that I have for all of us. Yeah. Yes. The question was about what I saw here uh, at St. Columba's as I was discerning uh, if this is where God was calling me. Um, also coming from a, a rival at Rhodes. Uh, Swanee and, and Rhodes are, are rivals um, in a sense. Um, Swanee's no good at football, so it doesn't really matter. But I love the Swanee Tigers dearly. What brought me to St. Columba's? was the, the clear sense that you truly are a church on a mission to get, live God's love. There's a lot of, of great work happening here. 
the spirit is deeply active in this place. That is really clear to me. Um, the big moves that I've made and decisions that I've made in my life have all been spirit-driven in the sense that there's something about coming into a place and just knowing that the spirit is active and knowing that I'm ready to receive the spirit in the way that she is made active in a place. Um, being Serving at a church like St. Columbus has always been sort of on, on my list of hopes um, for my ministry. I didn't think it would come at the time that it did. I wasn't looking for a new church. Um, and sometimes the spirit moves when we really want her to sit still. Um, I, I was happy where I was. And then I learned about this church and I came and visited and just knew that this was where um, either the spirit was pulling me or pushing me. I, I don't really know. Um, but this church is committed to um, following God in the many ways that that shows up. That's, that's in your ministries, um, in the community, that's in worship, that's in uh, the many ways that you study God and study scripture together. Um, it, that was really clear to me. Um, it was also clear to me that I could work really well with the staff here. That matters. You know, it's a calling, and there's also the practical things of, do I think that this is a community in which my gifts are invited and welcome? A community in which I can fully exercise my gifts? And I thought, I thought yes. Um, and I've learned that that's, that's true. I feel like I'm able to exercise my gifts here and to be uh, on a staff with people who have many different gifts and we can be compliments to one another. Um, so that kind of stuff matters too. I didn't know it when I accepted the job, but you also have donuts on Sundays. And I love donuts. I love donuts. Um, I proposed to my wife with donuts. I'll tell you that story another time if you want to hear it. Um, I had donuts instead of wedding cake. I love donuts. So I didn't know that, but the spirit was moving in that because I learned about the donuts as soon as I arrived here in DC. And I was like, oh yeah, God's good. God is really good. <laughs> That might be a good note to end on. I see people starting to come in for the 1115 service. Thank y'all so much. It is a gift to be here.